Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week is part two of my chat with Bill M, the Magister from the Church of Satan. Now, if you're only just tuning in and you haven't listened to part one, and be sure to go back and check that out before listening to this one, because part one explains a lot of the misconceptions around the church, and you know they don't do blood sacrifices and kill goats or anything, or even actually worship the devil, because they don't believe the devil or any sort of uh, supernatural deities in that sense actually exist. So really, if you haven't listened to that already, go back to part one um, and check that out first. So in this part, we sort of continue our conversation about what we were talking about previously, just general questions about the Church of Satan and things. Um, but in this one specifically, we go on about afterlife, consciousness, including artificial intelligence. And we talk about the misconceptions around Aleister Crowley and how people just hate being wrong, um, closed-minded intellectuals, the satanic sins, numerology, um, Wiccans, witches, and like Wicca, the religion. Um, we speak very briefly about uh, Bill M. actually was on the BBC. He did interview with them a little while back, so we go into that. And loads of other things. So, you know, if you liked part one, you're sure to like this part as well because Bill is an incredibly intelligent individual. He's a great person to chat to, and it's just good to try and clear up a lot of the misconceptions surrounding a seemingly harmless religion. So, there we are. Just before the chat starts, we've got a promo for the Breakdown from the Couch podcast. Be sure to check those guys out. I've included a link in the description. Um, and then after the full chat, it will be you know me doing the usual. So um, that being talking about what's coming up in the following episodes, giving more information, all that sort of tomfoolery. So yeah, be sure to like us on all the social media places, share this with your friends if you think it's enjoyable, and all that usual tomfoolery. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys, and I'll talk to you all at the end. Hey everybody, I'm Laura. And I'm Nikki. And we're your hostess with the mostess with Breakdown from the Couch. Have you ever watched a movie and loved it? Hated it? Realized you haven't seen it in ages and wonder if it's still what you remember? The characters, the plots, the twists and turns. Well, then you feel right at home with us at Breakdown from the Couch. That's right. I mean, it has to be one of the missing pieces of the puzzle known as life, which is why we're on this mission together. My best friend and I are going to be bringing you weekly episodes full of movie breakdowns, movies that you'll be able to find on streaming services so you can pull them and watch them right along with us. Well, not right along with us. The podcast isn't going to be that long. I mean, who do you think we are, Peter Jackson? I wish we had his Lord of the Rings budget, but we will take you on a journey with us as we review some of our most favorite or most hated movies, and then we'll be breaking down these cinematic masterpieces scene by scene, all from the comfort of our very own couch. Absolutely, so please give us a listen. Our first episode is set for launch January 1st, 2019. We'll release new episodes every Tuesday. Find us on Facebook and Instagram for extra content. Catch us on your favorite podcast platforms. Once again, I'm Nikki. And I'm Laura. And we'll talk soon on Breakdown from the Couch. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. Even though you're atheist... The, the beliefs when it comes to a sort of deities and things are um, atheist what um life after death for example um is it widespread that to be a satanist you have to believe in the atheist approach which is you die you're gone that's it or is it more down to interpretation so what's i wondered if you have different beliefs to what happens when you die and if the church accepts other things well, essentially, no. I would point out, though, that atheist, the term itself, really doesn't mean anything more than not believing in a deity. Mm. Um, 
So it is technically possible to be an atheist who believes in an afterlife, for example, because mm-hmm. an afterlife isn't a deity. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, we're very clear that there's no heaven and hell, that these are inventions of humans, um, you know, made to either scare people or give people um, some kind of empty sense of solace. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't necessarily rule out all possibilities of an afterlife, but it kind of begs the question, well, why, what rational reason would you have to believe that in the first place? And, um, even if we assume that there was such a thing as an afterlife, that still doesn't change the fact that this is your life here and now, and you should be living this to the fullest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, my, my sort of, my philosophy is, my philosophy is basically one thing that I've, I mean, I've spoken to a couple of uh, religious individuals on the show and uh, non-religious individuals. And I think the one thing that everyone has to agree on is there is at least one life. That's, that's the, that's the empirical fact we all know for sure. It's like, no one can argue we have at least one life. Now, if you want to be a Hindu and believe in reincarnation, or if you believe in heaven and hell, it's different things, you know, to, but it's, it's that one life and that's the most important thing. And that's what your religion, I feel, highlights. Yeah, because it is pretty much the antithesis of other spiritual religions that um, say something better is uh, to be in the afterlife or that you have to spend this life um, self-sacrificing and all this and not enjoy things and that you somehow become a superior spiritual being, you know, by following that sort of uh, degrading you know, set of circumstances. Yeah, and it's it's ironic in that sort of thing of the idea it's meant to be uh, using Christianity again as an example, uh, trying to be this thing where you're like, oh, you know, I'm a really good person. I do all these nice things. It's like, well, what I've said for a while now is if you don't believe in an afterlife and you do nice things, you're a more moral person than a Christian because the Christians believe they're going to get rewarded. Whereas, you know, for example, yourself and myself, if I do something nice or you do, it's because we want that person's experience to be less shit. <laughs> we're not doing it because we think we're going to get some sort of reward afterwards. I remember reading an essay um, on an atheist site years ago that pretty much expanded that to an essay showing that Pascal's wager, that classic argument shows that if anything, it's more moral to not believe in, you know, the afterlife for that reason. Mm. Yeah. And there's that idea of, I mean, you can go down to like a more deep uh, philosophical or maybe psychological idea of then you can argue, you know, is anything anyone ever does nice? Because when you yeah. do something nice, you get that nice feeling. And then one can argue, well, you're actually oh, yeah. being nice for that nice feeling. And it's it's very interesting you're doing that pathway of, um, I, th- I think, is it moral relativism, that sort of? Well, you could ask, you know, th- does altruism truly exist then in that case? I'm I'm of the camp that says no. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> everything is is done for, uh, for self-benefit, you know, for selfish reasons, really. Even if you're helping somebody, you're doing that because you get some kind of uh, gratification from it or you feel that your world would be a worse place if you didn't enact on it. So, mm. Yeah, that's a that's kind of how I sort of feel about it. And I mean, one of the reasons I brought up the sort of life after death thing um, was because my own religious and spiritual ideologies have kind of been changing a bit recently. Um, I'm not going to suddenly come out on this show and say I'm a born again Christian. Um, but you know, my sort of, one of the reasons I don't believe in deities, for example, uh, is because what everything I, I see in nature and everything of what seems to be our understanding of the universe, there doesn't seem to be 
there are hierarchical systems in general of more of a each hierarchical system which kind of allows the life cycle to become more complex and work better you know ants and humans for example you know uh, we can kill ants i am more powerful than one ant but that doesn't necessarily mean that i'm necessarily more important than an ant even though i'm a human so i would rather you know kill an ant than a human but a god doesn't fit in, in my mind, to anything else with the universe. You know, all of the universe all seems to balance itself out. You know, you can't build a mountain without digging a hole. You know, you nothing, there's no life without death, all these sorts of other things. And it all balances out. And then, because we didn't understand things X amount of years ago, and obviously there's still a lot we don't understand today, people just kind of decide, oh, well, the thing is the answer there is just pop a man at the top who just does it all. And it's like, what? That doesn't fit in with anything. I guess it sounds easier and then you don't have to think about it. <laughs> well, that's what I was told, but I just always think it's, yeah. it just always asks me more questions. I was just like, well, where did yeah. God come from? Oh, he's always been. So. Yeah. Well, well there are I – mean, we kind of know now from, uh, you know, uh, neurobiology and cognitive sciences that there are reasons why humans kind of come up to these beliefs in the first place. Um it's been said we evolved with a good knack for pattern detection and we want to kind of project uh, patterns onto things we see. And sometimes that leads to seeing patterns where things shouldn't be. Um, instinctively, since we're social primates, we look at all these things that happen and say, okay, that was the result of a human enacting on it. So when we come to something we don't really understand, I can see why some people would have that impulse of thinking, okay, there must, must be some kind of, being that consciously and manually made it that way. But of course, you know, there are inherent <laughs> fallacies like within that and things that that still doesn't understand. But we kind of, again, we just kind of, we, we're learning more about like the science of what causes uh, religious beliefs in the first place. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was even, um, I remember watching a, a Stephen Hawking documentary and um, it, he he believed the documentary was kind of trying to explain how life could have started without a god to begin with and i watched an hour of it and i can tell you something something subatomic particles i think <laughs> that's about all i can remember except one other bit in that whole documentary i remember um which uh i think it works quite well to mock a lot of modern day religions i don't think that was stephen hawking's intention but i can say that i have used it a few times it's the uh the eclipse uh, the Vikings used to believe, or some Vikings used to believe, that an eclipse is caused by the wolf god eating the moon. So they'd all yell at the moon when it happened. And then obviously the eclipse had passed, but they would assume that because they were yelling at it, that was the thing that stopped the eclipse. Yeah. And that sounds preposterous nowadays. You know, you you say to someone, I'm sorry, God, those Vikings are idiots. But it's like, yeah, but you got to think like there's the amount of people on this planet who think of something in my mind almost as crazy you know sure. god created the universe or the earth or the sun in how many days but you couldn't have had a day until you actually create the sun so <laughs> or, or even on a lower level um things like i when i was in college for example i worked in a convenience store and i sold this one guy like a winning scratch ticket and so he kept coming back to me even if there were other like cashiers available me as uh, being his lucky seller <laughs> You know, so it's that example again of thinking that you see some kind of pattern and then you know acting on it thinking there's a correlation where there really wasn't one mm. yeah exactly and with the life after death thing as well with my what my kind of thing's been morphing to is yeah i don't believe the hierarchical structures uh because the gods and all that sort of jazz and the idea of heaven and hell doesn't really make any sense because first of all where are they and second of all you know 
eternity in heaven where you can't do anything as class as sin sounds literally like my hell. Like, would then my version of hell be, you know, fire and brimstone, all that stuff? That would, yeah, no doubtly suck, undoubtedly yeah. suck. But if you subjected me to, you know, 25 hours of Nicki Minaj while having other people <laughs> read Bible verses to me while feeding me uh, cauliflower, that would be worse. <laughs> Yeah. So where does that fill in? You know, do you have different hells for different people who dislike and don't like other things? But I understand that you know, in a historical significance, um, I believe that Christianity, uh, even though I don't agree with all its uh, ethos and its morals, I believe that a lot of it was arguably a necessary moral compass back when we were sort of adolescents in morality. In that sense, I mean, I'd be interested to know what your uh, thoughts are if you think that. The, the heaven and hell for me kind of is like when you have an infant who is not old enough to understand empathy. And so when they don't understand empathy, you have to basically do like a reward punishment sort of system until they start to understand things more. And that's kind of how I view heaven and hell back when it was invented, the concepts of it. I wondered if, and I think that maybe that's positive at that time, but I don't agree with it now. I, I wonder what your perception of that is. Well, you certainly don't need a supernatural threat to you know, raise <laughs> good morals. Um, oh, definitely not now. Yeah. No, no, of course. But I mean, you can look at uh, Jewish communities, for example, who have very, you know, some very upright citizens who have been raised really well, and they were raised without the threat of uh, eternal punishment if they did wrong things. Or uh, maybe there was other forms of supernatural threats. Jehovah will get mad if you do this or that. I don't know. Um, but you can certainly... Um, I don't know. I'm not going to claim to know much, all that much about parenting since I'm not a parent. Um, <laughs> though, for people who are interested, I'll give a plug to another podcast. There's a Raising Hell podcast, which uh, was done by Satanists talking about satanic parenting and, uh, you know, a Satanist approach uh, to that topic. Might be worth yeah, checking good. out. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I put a link to that. Um, I'll probably check that out as well. I mean, I'm, I don't have any plans yeah, to be a parent. I think the host has since discontinued it, but there's still like a ton of um, archived episodes. So. Yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely will check that out. Um, if I, uh, what was going to say? Oh, the, I keep basically bringing up to a point and then uh, stopping, then reverting back. So I do apologise for you and any listeners if I keep repeating myself. Um, with with life after death, I mean, one thing that is at this moment in time, because we're still fairly adolescent in our understanding of the universe and everything. I mean, I think modern science and things has only been like doing quite well for probably say a hundred years. I mean, I think electricity's only really been about since the I think it's late eighteen hundreds. But with consciousness, that's one of the things that intrigues me the most. Yeah, and I the the reason I said at this and towards the start, I'm like becoming slightly more agnostic than atheist. I am still atheist, uh, and I do not believe well, there is anything. So atheist and agnostic, before. just to clarify, are not mutually exclusive terms because mm. one a atheism is just whether theism and atheism describe whether you believe or not. Gnosticism, agnosticism is how much you know, claim to know about what you're believing. Mm. But anyway, go on. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very glad that you have clarified that because, yeah, my, my, some of my terminology is just way off. So <laughs> it's, um, with that, I always want to say a little side uh, tangent is, uh, someone I heard on a podcast the other day, they said, um, they saw like a bumper sticker that said they're a militant agnostic, which is that they don't know and you don't either. And I'm like, that's brilliant. And, yeah, I think me, it's a misuse of the term, but anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> with my views on it and things, I think with uh, consciousness, one thing that's 
opening me up more to the idea of potentially life after death is, is only on the basis of our lack of understanding of consciousness right now, where I maybe haven't looked into it enough, but when we die, if our consciousness just kind of dissipates and that's the end of it, or if consciousness is a form of energy and maybe because energy can't be destroyed, it can only be transferred, potentially our consciousness could maybe live on in some sort of other way or facet. I don't know what your thoughts on that. I assume you generally disagree, but I'm just interested in your thoughts on this. Yeah, I I certainly don't believe in the idea of consciousness that transcends. From what we know about consciousness, it always seems to be consciousness is a byproduct of uh, brain activity. And we know that when you damage, for example, certain parts of the brain, that certain parts of consciousness... Um, you know, go go haywire. Um, for example, there have been people who've been uh, blinded when their lobes in the back of their head, the ones that control vision, uh, you know, get messed up. There are some others who are operate just fine, but they, when their lobe is damaged, where they can't, um, that that affects speech, then they can't speak. And other parts of the brain that. Um, you know, affect memory so they can speak and they can see and everything, but they don't um, remember anything that happened 15 minutes before or whatever. Um, so I don't really buy this idea that um, when the entire brain dies, everything is suddenly back. It just seems illogical to me. So I, therefore I see, you know, the death of full brain activity as death being the end of consciousness. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, as I say I do agree. This is more. Uh, I'm kind of flirting almost with the the idea. It's kind of it's more of a, a nice thing to think. You know, okay. when someone passes away, it's it's nice to think they go to heaven. I would like to think some family members are in heaven. That doesn't mean I necessarily uh, do believe it. But linking on with that consciousness um, thing, this is completely off topic. But let's go for it. Opinions on artificial artificial intelligence. Would you going from that? Would you think that? Could I don't know how, if you've ever looked into this sort of thing, but if artificial intelligence could ever be conscious and what consciousness truly is? Well, yeah, this is where it gets into the um, difficulty of being able to define consciousness in the first place. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking not only as a Satanist, but somebody – I've actually worked in the AI fields professionally as an oh, engineer wow. um, as well. And there are certain degrees of – artificial intelligence really um and so where you draw the line between that and what we would consider um quote-unquote normal intelligence of a you know a person something i guess you could say is being indistinguishable from that of a human um it's interesting where you would want to draw the line because we have developed um artificial artificial intelligence chat rooms for example um you know robots that reply back and some people would talk and honestly not be able to tell that this was, um, you know, whether this was a real person or not. The Turing test. Yeah. There, yeah, there we go the, with the Turing test. And it, we get closer and closer with, like, finding out some of the flaws and then correcting um, some of that, of, you know, some of those imperfections that we find. Some of the questions that kind of trip up um, may trip up an AI, you know chat room thing might be uh, mm. corrected against mm. um, so I don't fear AI you know, as, as, as much as some people do and I 
told people like some of my work, some people are afraid, like, oh, aren't you afraid of like uh, something like the Terminator, <laughs> you know, <laughs> happening where robots are controlling everything? And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of people don't know. There's um, I may get these terms wrong, so apologies. But I think it's general AI and another type of AI, like Siri on one's iPhone. You know, that's a degree of artificial intelligence because it can learn some of your sort of uh, uh, the way you speak, little uh, sort of slang words you use, and things like that. It picks up on that and eventually yep. it adapts itself, and that is technically AI. Whereas people, yeah, they think of this Skynet, this or sort of being that comes to life suddenly decides to kill all humans and then take over the internet and all this sort of other stuff and where linking on with that with the sort of ai and the uh types of intelligence then if we went the other way with animals for example um i believe say dogs they seem fairly conscious uh, i don't know if you would agree but then if you do where where does it go down for the the line i know it's quite squirrely i'm not expecting you to say i've got all this worked out but <laughs> like you know what i mean well, I think, you know, dogs and other mammals certainly are capable of uh, experiencing different uh, degrees of emotions. And it shows, I think, anybody who's, you know, been, been a dog owner, uh, for example, certainly knows. A little harder to, to detect in cats and uh, in birds. But, you know, their owners will say that they uh, can tell there's certain signs that uh, express emotions and all that. Um, I, a lot of people think, well, that's, you know, the, the emotion is like a defining thing that is making human versus the, the non-human. But, um, again, there's a lot of degrees within that. It's kind of a continuum. It's not really a simple binary thing of, you know, be, being data or being, you know, from Star Trek or being, uh, somebody who has emotion. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, well, I asked the world's most vague question, so it's <laughs> I wasn't expecting a ridiculously concise answer. I'm just, it's more intrigued. It's more you have, you have a lot of uh, philosophies and perception on life which I uh, either align with or respect, but also you're clearly very intelligent, um, especially because of, you know, out of most people my age, I know quite a lot about religion comparatively, but in reality, I actually don't know that much about religion almost at all i know bits and pieces about a little bit here and there i can kind of you know if you listened into a conversation with me with someone of any religion for maybe five minutes you'd think oh he, he probably knows what he's talking about but after that it just kind of descends into drivel <laughs> well I, I think the more you delve into almost learning any topic the more you kind of realize like wow i, I really only know a fraction of this a hundred percent yeah i've got there's an analogy um which i've used a couple of times in the podcast um which is you can use it for almost anything. Um, I use it a lot of the time for um, my own self. I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to think I knew everything. Um, so you can use it for knowledge. And it's also good to be used for teenagers, which explains why a lot of teenagers can be quite uh, arrogant and things, which is um, imagine like a, a door and you can see there's basically a keyhole. And when you're like, uh, when you're really young, you can be like jump and maybe glance through it for like a split second. But then once you get to a certain height and you can actually look through that keyhole, that's say I'd say when you become sort of a preteen when you start going through adolescence. That's when you're looking through that keyhole, and so you can see one um, perspective of the room. And then what one does, and I know what I did, especially as a teenager, was I was thinking, okay, I know everything that's in that room now. I've looked through that one keyhole so much, I just know everything. And then you become an adult, 
and you get the key and you unlock the door and you open the door and then you're just stood in the doorway of this absolutely colossal atrium full that's like a million stories high full of everything you could ever imagine and you're like <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think of that with but about being a teenager but knowledge it's, i just i used to think i was so smart and then you meet someone who's actually intelligent or is more of an expert in their field and it's just that no <laughs> so did did you you said when you were a teenager you got into religion and things did that sort of did did your development of religion uh go because you were thinking your life was maybe missing something or were you just more sort of uh, curious it was a mix of both i think it was um being i was you know throughout childhood being forced to go to uh catholic mass every week Mm. and knowing that there were other options out there and uh knowing that okay this thing i'm doing just doesn't really feel like a a fit for me um also doesn't make sense for these other you know for this reason and this reason this Mm -hmm. so um like a lot of young teens i was started exploring other things that were out there um, got into some new age dabbling and also some like occult dabbling at the time. Um, was a, I was devout Wiccan in high school, if you can believe it. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Wiccans, uh, on the whole tend to be almost as, uh, anti, uh, actively anti Satanism as like Christians can be. <laughs> That's a, really, I don't think I know anything about uh, Wiccan. Would you mind, uh, divulging a little bit? So, uh, Wicca, was a religion founded by Gerald Gardner in the 1950s, and its adherents call themselves witches. And there are other different splits of uh, of Wicca that devo- derive from the same thing and kind of change from author to author. So getting Wiccans to agree on something can be uh, yeah can be a little difficult at times. <laughs> but um, especially throughout the 1980s, through the satanic panic, uh, Wiccans use the pentagram. They use it in the point one, the one point up fashion to represent uh, the ideas that they've adopted from neo-paganism and the older Earth religions and stuff. And they're, they really, really hate being mistaken for Satanists because people will see their black clothing and their, you know, their pentagram and be like oh you know we're we're not satanists we don't do all this stuff but then to defend themselves they'll sometimes spread the same lies about us that you know no we witches don't uh sacrifice babies and you know drink goat's blood and stuff that those are satanists who do that and mm. it's like uh no we don't actually do those things either <laughs> oddly enough i mean i've been uh, i've had people ask me if i was a wiccan when they see you know see a uh, pentagram jewelry or mm. whatever um so yeah it's a, it's an interesting uh <laughs> confusion oh, yeah that is i mean i didn't know really much about uh wiccans at all and oh yeah there's a huge i grew up outside of um salem massachusetts where there is coincidentally a pretty significant wiccan population other neo-pagans as well um I think like oh I, well, I think what appealed to, to me at the time was that hey this is a something that's kind of esoteric but it's also kind of self righteous because I can call myself a white witch and all this stuff at the same time. Uh, but to get back to your question, just to, to finish this up, after uh, Wick, I 
stumbled around to like east far eastern religions too so i was going back and forth to different things until i had finally found satanism which was in sometime in my early 20s and this was after i had already moved out of my parents house so mm-hmm. i know some people say oh you're a satanist just because you're re- rebelling against your parents christianity it's like no I, I get along great with my parents and um i didn't discover it till after i had already moved out and already ten, about a good 10 years after i decided i wasn't a christian anyway so mm-hmm. <laughs> i bet you get a lot of people uh doing that thing which is to get back to what i said previously about sort of my metal music uh there's a lot of people they like to tell you what your interpretation of your choices are oh yeah yeah a lot yeah a lot of people think there's some kind of like gotcha oh you know oh you're a satanist well then obviously it's because of this and like you know that most people who haven't even done you know research like the basic things or so why would you be a Satanist? Because obviously, like this thing is wrong, and it's like, no, well, we don't actually believe that thing at all. If you actually took the time to read up, <laughs> yeah, it, it must be so frustrating. The, well, I pre- the most... I, that's why I appreciate you, for example, that you've actually did a bit of research because I've, uh, you know, myself and other COS people have been interviewed by some people who did like absolutely no research and they just see you know the name and so they they're starting in with you know questions like you know so is it true that alistair crowley tells you to go you know eat uh sell your soul for blah 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 and it's like well, crowley was about well, before, um <laughs> even the satanic bible was written wasn't he like a uh, crowley died like several years like, yeah he, before, he, he died it? in the 50s uh yeah. so he found in the 60s so yeah yeah i, I find that very not only rude but also very disrespectful like yeah. Well, he wasn't a Satanist, and I, it's strange that people keep calling him Satanist. He wasn't a, he didn't call himself a Satanist. His followers, like the, the Thelemites and you know, the religion of Thelema and Golden Dawn and all that, they don't consider him a Satanist, and Satanists don't consider him a Satanist. So why people keep calling him a Satanist, I don't know. It's only Christians who think Aleister Crowley was a Satanist. Well, it's probably they think, you know, Ozzy Osbourne had one song about him, and then Ozzy yeah. Osbourne's metal, so he is clearly a Satan worshipper. <laughs> and then that means that because he's a Satan worshipper, then Satanists are all the same, and therefore you're yeah, all yeah, in this big pot. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing I can think of. But If he was a scary occultist who used, like, spooky symbols, then he's a Satanist. That must be it, right? Mm, yeah, well, he's kind of scary, and I don't understand them, and the devil is scary, so yeah. I know. It's yeah. like I figured it out. Well, throughout the 80s, we had to hear uh, accusations that Ozzy Osbourne was a Satanist as well, mm. uh, and almost anybody in, in heavy metal. Mm. It's like, no, yeah. Ozzy is this uh, guy from the, the blue-collar streets of Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And he's, so many things. Yeah. With, um, with your religion as well, I mean, a lot of people – the amount of misconceptions with it, and it, it does just baffle me that people would actually – even not look up the religion like you know when i uh emailed yourselves and you came back and said yeah i'd be interested just you know i'd prefer it if you just looked up the religion a little bit just so you have a vague idea and i had a very vague idea i knew that there wasn't the misconceptions that were had already um but like i employ anyone who's listening to this podcast especially if they're this far through i'd imagine they're quite uh interested by this always to you see it go on the church of satan website and look at it because it's just I'm not going to say like, oh, I'm going to join uh, the Church of Satan or anything, but I-, I can't really see almost anything with yourselves that I disagree with, which was the most surprising thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but arguably my own idea of kind of 
the, maybe the, on the line of like spirituality and life after death, uh, that sort of thing, even though obviously, as we've established, that's not uh, exclusive. It just makes a lot of sense. And it, one of the things I've always said is in life is basically just, you know, you should always look out for number one. You know, you have to be the top priority over everyone, excluding the outlier of having a child for a certain period of time. You obviously have to put the child first. But yep. generally speaking, like I, I live my life, I do what I want and do things to benefit me. And what comes second is, you know, do everything you want to do, but try and hurt or try and piss off as least amount of people as possible while doing it. Yeah. And it's like that, that is like a really basic, almost layman terms of sort of yourselves ideology is just, and that's how I feel like people should live. Yeah. And that, and that is pretty blasphemous to say that because it goes against, uh, you know, the core of what all the spiritual religions are saying that, no, you have to put a uh, God first or you can't think for yourself or you shouldn't research things. Hmm. And that's the whole sort of, you know, as, as we mentioned previously, the whole, uh, religion for, many many years has been suppressing uh and doing even worse to a lot of people who are free thinkers and, and things and it's sitting down and discussing these ideas of people and discussing uh alternative thinking is the best way to if you are so right about everything yeah. then if you talk to someone who you consider to be wrong if you're so smart and right the one conversation that people view you'll be clearly the one who's right but a lot of people don't want to do that yeah it's so much easier to just uh you know cling to uh reinforce your own <laughs> misconceptions and all that because pe people just hate being proven wrong in general um you know we've seen that with i don't know if you're familiar with uh, the monty hall game uh you know the monty hall problem for mathematics but it in, in essentially it is a good example of how people will you know don't like to be wrong and will try to rationalize why they were you know correct and stuff I haven't we, heard this. No, yeah, I don't know if I want to get completely into it, but it, it's um, it's fun. Uh, we certainly see that all the time with uh, Christians and Bible interpretations. Mm. Um, and, and they'll try to say, "Well, you know, my position is faith based, and you're, you know, since you don't know everything completely, aren't you saying you're faith based too? And therefore, we're on equal terms or equally probable." It's, no, it's a. <laughs> It's a bogus argument because, you know, yes, I have faith. You could say I have faith that the sun will rise tomorrow. But the thing is, if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to try to rational. I'm going to admit that, well, I was wrong and try to figure out what's going on, not try to rationalize. Well, when I said that, what I really meant was this instead. <laughs> so you see, I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and people do have that. And I, I mean, I had it yeah. a lot, especially when I was growing up. It was uh, especially when I was a teenager because people feel like, it's almost like this weird, it's like intellectual vulnerability. If you say to someone, you know, I'm open to being wrong, I may be wrong, then that's basically, yeah, you're, you're being vulnerable intellectually. You're saying, I don't know everything. Yeah. And as you say, some people just cling to their, their ideas of thinking they're so right and thinking that they know everything. And it's like, you can't learn anything if, if you're, yeah. if, if you think you know everything. Well, well, the thing is, um, a lot of atheists are under the, perception that there's a strong correlation between superstitious belief and IQ that like the lower, you know, the stupider you are, the more prone you are to believe in like weird things. But what actually happens is the reverse is true. Once you get into the upper, like higher IQs, because people who have like a really high, like intellect are also sometimes really good at rationalizing away, um, 
you know, evidence to the contrary to their own mind. And so you do find some people who are, you know, have like some superstitious beliefs that are in that top level. I, I'm a member of Mensa, for the record, yeah, the High IQ Society. And Mensa actually has, for example, a Bible study group, <laughs> like in Mensa. Mm. So, yeah, there are like some people who maybe, um, you know, geniuses and IQ sense, but still believe in some stupid things. <laughs> Yeah, it's people. They they do make. I mean, certain people are just like, oh, I believe this. There's not really any reason for it, but it's my own little thing, and I'm quiet about it. And it's like fair dues. But then there are the people who are vocal about it. Shall we say? Um, I'm interested. Some of the things, obviously, your uh, on your podcast, you had uh, a lot of the clips from Bill Hicks. Are you interested in individuals? Have you heard the term the intellectual dark web? I've heard the term. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, honestly, right. what it is. Well, the dark web is obviously, uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's, uh, I think you can basically get a way to get a browser that can search without any restrictions. And people buy guns on their child porn and all that sort of horrendousness. And I want to clear up, there's nothing to do with that. It's a kind of tongue in cheek uh, sort of thing. Um, it's uh, Christopher Hitchens, um, obviously he passed away. Yeah. Um, Richard Probably Dawkins. Yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, Joe Rogan being uh, one of the big ones. Those ones are, there's a gentleman called, I think it's Brett uh, Weinstein, um, and he kind of coined the term, and it's essentially individuals in the new, in the new media movement, essentially. Uh, okay. Peterson, he's a part of it Sorry. as well, kind of. So, so it sounds like a lot of my YouTube subscription lists. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, because it sounds, from what I, from what I gather from uh, talking with you and a lot of your pursuits, you know, you're interested in religion, but that doesn't, you, you are in a secular religion, but you're interested in just knowing things about some of the other religions. And it's just knowledge is such a, a great resource we have for rather we have the resources like the internet and things um, now, and they can really help foster love and intrigue. And so many people just, waste their time going on Instagram for, you know, fucking five hours a day and watching the Kardashians. And it's like, they're fine to do that. And then you mentioned that you've, like I've said to some people at work, I was going to speak to um, someone in the Church of Satan. And the other people were like, what? why would you want to do that? It's like, because it's <laughs> someone who has a different religion. I'm interested by it. And the, the people just don't get that. I mean, do you find that frustrating that some people are quite close-minded in their own intellectual pursuits? Yeah, that happens. Um, it, it It does seem a little strange to me and sometimes that can happen among uh, people new to satanism as well um some because some people when they first get into it may be a little gung-ho on the blasphemy part probably because they're trying to escape some of the um you know reprogram themselves from some of the uh, religious indoctrination that they've gotten and they find satanism pretty liberate liberating for that and being able to kind of get all that stuff off their chest uh, which is fine initially, but then you kind of want to move on and apply the philosophy <laughs> in life and actually do things. Uh, we kind of call that phenomenon first phasers or phase one people, mm. you know, who, who, who uh, you know, get into Satan doesn't want to shout it from the rooftops and uh, we kind of say, all right, that's good, but, you know, calm down there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, when uh, young adults first learned to, first allowed to drink. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like I can drink now. I gotta drink it all, all the time. Yeah, this is what it's all about. It's like no, you can yeah, quietly sit down, have a glass of wine with uh, a steak. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to yell it from the rooftop. Uh, yeah. So 
it, it frustrates me. I will say it sometimes. Yeah, know, there's, there's no shame. In, with, with, with Satanism, we say Satanism demands study, not worship, and by that we mean you should be going out and you know learning about the things that interest you and questioning things and finding things out. You don't become a better Satanist by saying I want to be really devout to the idea of Satanism itself and, you know, wear more pentagrams than the next person or something like that. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I wonder if, do you get, have you, uh, from your experience, had any people who kind of, kind of enter uh, the church and then kind of try to one up other people's almost uh, devotion, religiosity? Have you experienced that? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a social phenomenon that I, I swear happens like in every circle. I, I In, I in our say, case, yeah. I would call it unholier than thou, you know. <laughs> oh, you, you do run across some, some of these people. It doesn't happen all that often, but, you know, you know, some people might be kind of pretentious with that. And then we can point to say, well, if you look at the nine satanic sins, pretentiousness is one of the sins. So maybe you should rethink this thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. I don't think I've even asked you what with what you've just said, and I um, I clearly didn't research enough. Uh, so are there yourselves have commandments in a sense, or in the same way? Well, we don't have commandments. We have the nine satanic statements because commandments kind of implies that, you know, they're decreed from some kind of higher power. And mm -hmm. uh, we have the nine satanic statements, which are in the satanic Bible, that kind of summarize um, what Satanism is about. Mm. We also have another list called the nine satanic sins. And these aren't uh, things that, you know, we believe people will be punished if they if they follow or we you know or if we kick people out of the church of satan for finding it they they're just sort of uh pitfalls in human behavior that uh, usually when we find things go wrong it usually comes down to uh you know to one of those things mm. and there's similarly the 11 rules of the earth so it's good i mean since we are a religion it's good to have some things like quantifiable and you know, you know relatable that way Mm -hmm, definitely and with um with nine as well i know um yourselves have is it the council of nine at the the top of the reins yep council nine we yeah we use the number nine a lot um and that's not a coincidence we do kind of view philosophically nine as the satanic number mm. because it's uh viewed as the carnal number because of us uh, some of the many mathematical properties that uh, when you do things to multiples of nine things reduce back down to nine and so on yeah, numerology is, is an interesting one. I've got a friend of mine who's um, herself, she's she's secular and things like that, but she's got this thing about the number 23. I mean, obviously there's that argument. I know there's a film about it as well. She was into it before the film. But um, obviously there's that argument of once one, it's, it's that whole, a good example is the thing, your mate gets like a fancy car and then as soon as he gets it, you see it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, there's a confirmation bias going on. Um, I'm, I, I kind of like numerology just as a artistic thing, even if I think scientifically it's just a bunch of bunk and you know <laughs> psychological confirmation bias. Um, I got my degrees in mathematics, so I, I love math and I love numbers in general. Mm. And I did actually have a have uh, sometimes working professionally in uh, in Salem, Massachusetts. There's a big uh, tourist attraction because of the witch trials, and I worked the uh, psychic fair there for a couple of years, doing tarot readings and stuff for tourists. And uh, mm -hmm. I would do numerology on on occasion too. And I saw it um, as an atheist. You know, I, I saw it, see it as a a novelty and an art. And most of the people who were coming there were 
just Taurus who, ooh, I want to have my tarot cards read or I want my palm read or something. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'd be careful not to give people, uh, y- y- you know, uh, decisions that uh, would probably be harmful for them or, mm. you know. Individuals who are kind of searching for an answer, and then if you do start you too much of an inflection in one way or another, then they can see this as some sort of huge sign from the universe and rapidly make a big decision not based on reasoning or logic, but kind of this. Yeah, I put in a lot of disclaimers when I ran into to people like that. Um, <laughs> mm. uh, I know a lot of people think that uh, most, and even though I, I I was the exception, not the rule in that that environment because there are a lot of people the the far majority of tarot readers and like do really do believe in you know the power that cards or whatever it is that they have they're not charlatans they're you know uh they really are believers in this i saw this as a novelty thing that i was doing for taurus Mm. Uh, yeah i've had my tarot cards read a couple of times i think it's quite an interesting exercise uh and it's 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 almost there's quite a few things that myself and my friends like to do um just thought experiments of just it's nice to think of things like this you know the whole heaven and hell thing is something i quite like to think about on occasion not that i i honestly i doubt i'll ever believe in a true heaven or hell but it's nice to just kind of ponder if there was one what would go in here what would do this what if you were you know some of the questions i had when i was younger in catholic school you know, I used to say to, you know, what if you're, you know, the nicest person ever, but every day you wake up and you say, I hate you, God. <laughs> what happens then? Because blaspheming is apparently this huge sin. So, and you never ask for forgiveness. And I used to ask these sort of difficult questions and things. And now it's more just, I don't necessarily even need an answer for a lot of these things. And um, it's quite a nice thought uh, experiment. And same with seeing numbers. Yeah, it's kind of, I see it in that way of, yeah, I guess I do see the number 23 quite a lot with yep. the example of my friend Carla. You know, my birth year is 1994. You add those numbers together, 23. That's how I was born in. And my, uh, well, not born in the house that I lived in for 16 years of my life and my father eventually died in. That was 113. So, two, three. You know, you can kind of, it's quite easy to kind of add things up and put yep. things together. And it's, it's kind of fun to do that. I don't Yeah, like yeah. It, I mean, like, oh and that's, as even as somebody who's a, you know, an atheist and hardcore materialist, I, I don't see what's wrong with treating numerology as a novelty thing, just like, uh, you know, I, I have a coffee mug with my astrology sign on it, my horoscope sign. That doesn't mean I believe in astrology. I just thought it was a nice, you know, it was an interesting novelty thing, just like, you know, you might have a keychain saying, oh, here's what your name is in Hawaiian. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really mean anything beyond trivia to me, but. Yeah, you know, oh, it's, a, it's a nice novelty. Uh, whereas I have run into some, you know, people like, "Oh my God, how can you have a, a coffee mug with a Pisces sign on it? Don't you know that astrology is all bunk and blah blah blah?" It's like it, it, it's just a coffee mug. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say because I'm a Pisces and I've got a, uh, I've got this little seashell thing that my uh, my parents got me ages ago, um, which obviously's got Pisces on it. I just thought that's kind of nifty and that's cool, and I, I kept that and. It, I, I've never read a horoscope and gone, oh my God, it's going to change my life. But I've on the odd occasion gone, I just kind of fancy seeing what they say. Just it's kind of a yeah. bit of fun. I'm never going to, you know, it's impossible for essentially one twelfth of the population to, I think there are 12 horoscopes. Uh, if for one twelfth of the population of the entire world, of seven or eight billion people to all have the same experience in a day and some bloke writing in, yeah. in a newspaper <laughs> can figure this out. It seems a bit off to me. Not even to mention if you read different horoscopes, say different things, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I will say with the numerology thing as well, it makes me think of like the uh, 
it's almost like when a song follows you in a sense you know i've had it before you just hear a song then you make a point of that and then everywhere you go for weeks it's just everywhere it's kind of fun it's gone oh cool that song's there haha it's it's fun to point out and I think that's something we recognize in Satanism. Again, even though we're hardcore, uh, you know, we were atheist materialists, we don't see the shame in seeing, uh, you know, poetic things and the the aesthetics of, you know, of, of that or just having, you know, in the coffee mug example. I think most people are in, most people still, many people rather, still read horoscopes. And I think it's not because they believe in astrology so much as they just have an underlying self-interest <laughs> you know they mm. want to read things about themselves and <laughs> yeah and that links in a lot with uh a lot of people with their religion and that the whole holier than thou sort of ideology they like to think i'm gonna be a good person how can i show i'm a good person i'm gonna be a christian and then being as christian as possible to kind of almost virtue signal to other people look how good i am yeah That's not everyone but, yeah i know but uh, i still think even that that people have uh some interest in uh, as much as they try to deny being like an individual mm. <laughs> still comes down yeah. to that <laughs> yeah i just want to get your opinion on one other thing uh this is to do with your uh you being a member of the church of satan i'm just interested okay. um do you have any tattoos I mean, if you do you don't have to just go to detail to what they are i'm just interested if you do i have absolutely no tattoos i have no tattoos or piercings which i mm. in 2019 kind of makes me a freak <laughs> <laughs> yeah a lot of people say like the the new almost uh rebellion is not getting a tattoo uh is there any reason for that of interest? Um, I've just never really decided on anything. I kind of realize, you know, there's a permanent marking. I do know other Satanists as well as non-Satanists who are completely covered in tattoos or um, are professional tattoo artists themselves. Mm. Uh, I was just down in Florida at a Howell Gallery where every year we put on, the Church of Satan puts on a uh, an art gallery showing and performances and stuff. Mm. That's in a tattoo uh, a, a tattoo artist shop and it's a combination of that and gallery it's interesting but I've just never had any personal interest in um, getting a tattoo I've had some ideas I thought of like maybe if I got one and this goes back to the fun kind of blasphemy stuff I've thought of getting the words like Leviticus 1928 <laughs> <laughs> oh the the one that says you can't have tattoos yeah exactly that's the Bible <laughs> we're saying no tattoos <laughs> that, that, is, that is pretty brilliant I've thought about just randomly getting because I've got one tattoo I've got a Star Wars tattoo on my arm. It's a, uh, I, I love Star Wars, first of all, and it's a homage to my dad who got me into Star Wars. So just, you know, mm. that's, that's really as deep as it goes. But um, I thought about once just getting a tattoo that just says tattoo, just like just, <laughs> just get the words tattoo tattooed on my wrist. Just I just thought about doing that once. I haven't done it. I'm really tempted to, uh, but I haven't nice. quite done it yet. But oh, Okay, I've got one one last question then. I'll, I'll, I'll free you from my, uh, from my presence. <laughs> um, I'm happy to keep going. Oh, wonderful! I was going to say in the in the church, do you find that the the alternative uh, lifestyle, shall I say, so you know, piercings, tattoos, obviously heavy metal, we've touched upon that sort of thing. In the Church of Satan, do you find that that is slightly more commonplace than an average, or is it just in, from your eyes equally proportionate to what it is in general population? I think we do get a disproportionate amount of people who may be in that circle, and I think it's. Because a lot of people who may be kind of loners um, and fierce uh, individuals and nonconformists kind of find their way into that sort of circle just as well as they may find themselves into um, into Satanism circle. 
so both of those circles kind of attract uh, to a certain extent, some of that same type. And again, there are lots of exceptions, as I just explained. I don't have any tattoos or mm. <laughs> you know, piercings, but... Hmm. Yeah, I wondered if it, if it was um, with that, because, you know, a lot of the alternative lifestyle, I mean, I've, you know, metal gigs, tattoo, I haven't got any piercings, but, you know, a lot of my friends have and that sort of jazz. Um, it is a lot of what people carry around with themselves and what they uh, show to other people is, you know, when one gets a tattoo. I mean, my tattoo is for me. Yeah. But to be fair, you know, other people obviously see it and that's not when I got it, I obviously that was in my mind that other people are gonna see it, so I want it to look good for when other people see it in things. But the alternative lifestyle is often uh it is often linked to that as you say, you know, individuals not everyone obviously, neither of us are saying that, but there are a lot of individuals who feel uh, who are outliers, who outcasts, they don't feel like they fit in anywhere and they find a sense of community and purpose in alternative music and certain religions and things like that. And yeah, I was just interested if uh, if you did find that in, uh, in your religion. Yeah, there are, but then um, the flip side of that is you do find some people who get so far into one of these, uh, uh, I guess, alternative subculture, for lack of a better term, mm. that um, they almost take the ironic conformist kind of uh, action to it where mm. – um, you know, you run across some people that are not really being all that rebellious and individual, but seem to be more um, conforming to an existing stereotype. Um, or they suddenly find themselves making rules like, you know, oh, you know, I listen to metal and my friend listens to metal. We're metalheads. But, you know, I have to laugh at my friend if my friend also owns, uh, you know, a CD from Frank Sinatra or something. Mm-hmm. You know, so you start imposing these rules, which are not really all that free in the first place. This it happens with you know all sorts of subcultures. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That is something funny that I found that, uh, well, especially when I was in the, the midst of being much more uh, involved in the alternative sort of subculture. You know, it was always wearing black, uh, yeah. you know, baggy jeans and black trousers and loads of necklaces and jewelry. And a lot of people would wear makeup and things like that. And then the irony is that you want to look as different from the normal as possible. So you all look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so instead of it being alternate, instead of it being like, you know, the mainstream and all these individuals, it's you've got these mainstream people and then you've got the alternative people and all yeah. the alternative people dress in one way and all the mainstream dress in the other way. And it's, it's quite funny with that um, I, I was interviewed by the uh bbc back in 2006 when we were doing the 6606 high mass and um that day i was wearing a hawaiian shirt and a, and a pretty loud one and i'm thinking like bbc is probably like not probably not going to like this or be you know maybe be surprised by this like the last kind of attire they were expecting and uh, sure enough, when they they talked to me for a long time, but um, the only time they interviewed me, they filmed like a couple of twenty second like sound bites, and only like pointed the camera at me from like the neck up. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't fit in the narrative. You can't have a Hawaiian yeah. shirt wearing Satanist. What's wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> can't be a fun loving party animal and also worship Satan, even though that's not what you do. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, with the uh, with podcasting. Obviously, there's the Radio Free Satan and things. Have you been at the forefront of sort of Radio Free Satan, uh, or was that already an existing thing when you joined? Well, I remember when it launched, uh, launched mm. in 2000. So I was a listener at first mm. and uh, had ideas for shows, but didn't end up putting one into action until uh, spring, like 2003. Um, 
one of the reasons for the delays is that we had some different policies and we had different owners. And one of the old, old policies we had was nothing from the RIAA, the uh, Recording Industry Artists of America, which basically meant no material that showed up on a major label. Mm. Um, and I knew George Carlin was on Atlantic Records and I thought like, well, if I – if I'm going to do a satanic podcast and I can't do a George Carlin, then what the hell's the point? <laughs> <laughs> so then we, we had some change in owners and we had uh, some change in uh, rules and stuff and that was lifted. And so that's when I went ahead with my comedy novelty podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, with podcasting in general, do you listen to like, many uh, sort of podcasts that aren't involved with Radio Free Satan? I know I mentioned uh, Joe Rogan slightly earlier, but I don't know if you listen to him, Sam Harris, or any of these other sort of uh, individuals. I do listen to some of them. Um, uh, Peter Schiff's, which is more of a, you know, economics one. Mm. I'm subscribed and I listen to some. Most, mostly what I'm listening to, though, is, is just some of the other fellow podcasts on uh, Radio Free Satan. It's different mm. music, music things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and with... Um, in your free time as well, this is, uh, I'll start to wrap up now, but out of just interest, um, what are your hobbies sort of outside of ha having a podcast, uh, your your job and Church of Satan? Well, I'm a musician. I host an open mic at a uh, coffee house once or twice a week. We do acoustic music. I also play in a band. Mm. Uh, so music has always been a big thing for me. I've been playing bass guitar for uh, over 30 years. But uh, mm. these days play a lot of uh, mandolin and ukulele and stuff like that. And I like digging up music from – especially from the early 20th century, some of the stuff that I had mentioned. And so I've taken some of that and rendered it, put things on YouTube. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's – is music quite a, a big thing in the church scene as well? Because obviously you mentioned about LeVay uh, being uh, – was it a musicologist? And then also – is Peter – am I right in thinking Peter Gilmore? He's quite uh, – he's got a qualification in music. He's quite – Yeah, he does. He, he got his degree in uh, music at um, NYU. So yeah, he's mm. he's a musician. He has some of his own albums of things he's released as well, as did LeVay. So it's quite uh, – in the – I assume because obviously Church of Satan is a lot about sort of individuality and expression and things like that well music is quite uh synergistic in that i'd say so is it quite rife in the church saying a lot of musicians and things or quite a interest in music yeah there is quite a quite a lot of musicians in there there are certainly some people who can't uh can't play <laughs> you know can't <laughs> hold a tune or hum a tune as well but uh yeah there's uh i'd say a disproportionate number of um people are really passionate about uh music and musicians Hmm. I do get uh, a little bit. I shouldn't get annoyed about these things. I get annoyed about a lot of little things. I don't ever get really like hugely angry at many things, but a lot of things do just annoy me a bit. And one of the things is uh, with people who I, it shouldn't bother me, but people who aren't that into music, and if they say it out loud, they're like, "Oh, I'm just not that into music," and I I can't. That's like saying I just don't like the taste of any food. It's like how can I've you say never that? understood it myself. I know those people exist, but I've never understood it. <laughs> yeah, it's like some people say I'm not really into podcasts. It's like okay, if you're not, I can understand that to a degree. I still don't fully agree because I think there's so many genres of podcasting, but you don't like music. It's like well, that saying. It's almost like saying, "Okay, well, Willie Nelson sounds the exact same as Slipknot, who sounds the same as." Yeah. Frank Sinatra, who sounds the same as Lady Gaga. It's like, what? What? <laughs> What's happening here? What I, have I, I never understood people who don't even have like a personal music collection. Mm. Like, you know, never even owned more than a, 
like a dozen um, albums of something, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. You ask what their favorite band is, and they're like, I don't really know. I just kind of listen to what's on the radio. <laughs> it's like, you poor, poor soul. <laughs> no wonder you don't think you don't like music. If you only listen to the top 40 all the time, that's probably why. If I was subjected to only listen to music that's on the radio all the time, yeah. I probably wouldn't like music much either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, it's getting uh, kind of late over here in the UK, and okay. I have thoroughly enjoyed this talk with you, Bill. Yeah, it's been I enjoyed it. Was. Wonderful. And not only learning about the Church of Satan, but using individual sound like incredibly uh, intelligent and enlightened individual. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I just think if you want to plug um, just your show again, Radio Free Satan, and anything else you'd like to say about the Church of Satan, then I can sort of wrap it up. All right. So RadioFreeSatan.com is where you can find my podcast and lots of others. My podcast is The Devil's Mischief. It's a comedy and novelty podcast because comedy is very satanic in that it's the antithesis of piety and sanctimonious. <laughs> uh, and my website that has that link and everything else is I'mJustABill.com. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. Well, as I said, Bill, it's been absolutely stellar having you on. And uh, yeah, maybe later down the line, I can have you on again and we can just purely talk about something else. Yeah, that would be good. In fact, that would be a great like bait and switch for people. If you say like, we're, we're going to talk to a magister of the Church of Satan and we just we just talk about movies like the whole time or something. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Well, um, perfect. Well, thanks for coming on. All right. Well, thank you. And that's the end of the podcast, guys. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Um, if you liked hearing Bill M. talk as much as I did, be sure to go check out his podcast, The Devil's Mischief. Um, I've included a link to that below, um, as well as a link to Radio Free Satan, which is essentially the podcast network that hosts many other podcasts, including the one that Bill mentioned about sort of parenting and things. And as I always say, guys, you know, you can like on social media um, and you can rate on iTunes and that sort of thing. But the thing that I really like is if people share these episodes. Um, not necessarily part two of an episode because that's a bit random. Maybe try for part one. But, you know, any of the show, I try and make it the niche is having no niche. You know, I want this show to be interesting to everyone in different ways. And there's going to be some people who are not interested in a gentleman from the Church of Satan talking. But there's going to be other episodes that I've done that people aren't interested in, such as the one that I've done about Crohn's disease with my friend Carla ones about streetwear or urban streetwear and things like that there's all the sciencey ones i've done so we've got quite a wide berth of episodes here so if you like the show and if you want it to kind of get more traction and things you really appreciate it i don't have a patreon or anything like that at the moment so the thing to do instead of just giving money would be to share it on social media you know tell people about the show who you think will enjoy it um on a side note about the patreon thing i maybe will be getting a patreon at some point um, it won't be for many many months yet because I have to figure out kind of what bonus content I'm going to do and all these sorts of other tomfoolery that goes along with it and I am very very busy so I'm just going to not do Patreon for a little while and see where it goes or see where not doing Patreon goes is exactly what I'm going now so I'm rambling as I always do at the end of the podcast uh, and I do apologize for that very quickly, uh, coming up, I've got a chat with Heather Vickery from The Brave Files. I may end up releasing that one next week. I've got a two-parter with Beth Crane of We Fix Space Junk. I've got an episode recorded with Magnus, who is a gentleman from Sweden who is a specialist in artificial intelligence to do with data analysis and digital marketing and things. Uh, and then I've got another show with Eddie Lauren, who is trying to create a new infrastructure in America regarding real estate and things. So lots of interesting guests, lots of things in the pipeline. So any 
usual listeners can all be excited for that, even though I don't sound as excited, because I always record the intros and outros on a Sunday, and I it's quite late, and I'm quite tired, and I want to go to sleep, because I did not go to bed until two in the morning because I was out drinking, but that's my own fault. Um, I hope you guys all have a great week. Um, I appreciate each and every one of you listening, especially all the way to the end, and I will talk to you all next week.